You're listening to Straight from the Heart, the Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia. Our teacher here on Straight from the Heart is Senior Pastor Joe Foch. We're currently in the New Testament going verse by verse through the book of Mark. On today's broadcast, we'll continue our study beginning in chapter 7. Before we finish, I'll give you some additional information so you can contact us with any questions or comments. But first, open your Bible to Mark chapter 7, and let's join Pastor Joe as he continues. Then came together unto him the Pharisees, and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eating bread with defiled, that is to say with unwashed hands, they found fault. So here comes some of the bigwigs from Jerusalem, the scribes and the Pharisees, not coming to hear, not coming to see, but coming to find fault. No doubt they heard that he had fed 5,000 men plus women and children in the wilderness. And they must be thinking, aha, this guy doesn't wash hands. They're not thinking this guy rebukes the wind and the sea. This guy cleanses lepers. He opens the eyes of the blind. This guy sways the multitudes and the things of God. This guy feeds the hungry. This guy heals the sick. They're thinking this guy doesn't wash his hands. He's eating with defiled hands. Now that's not unclean hands. It's ceremonially unclean. It's a religious thing. It doesn't mean their hands were dirty. I'm sure their hands were dirty. But he's not making them, that's my wife that does that. You come to my house, you wash your hands. The antibacterial soap. And it's not a bad idea. You're raising kids, make them wash their hands. The hospitals in the area every so many years come back to making everybody wash their hands again. I'm not against washing hands. But this is something vastly different. It was a ceremony. Um, some of the things that I jotted down about are interesting uh, the Torah, Midrash, Mishnah, the Gomorrah, all together talk about this. The Talmud, 523 books, 22 volumes, um, all of them speak about washings. The Mishnah says to transgress the oral tradition was greater than transgressing the law. Rabbi Eliezer said he who expounds the scripture in opposition to the tradition of the elders will have no part in the world to come. The Mishnah said, any rabbi who disregards washings, any rabbi who disregards washings should be excommunicated. To slight hand washings is a crime worthy of death. It's better to go four miles to wash your hands than to eat without unwashed hands. One who neglects washing after eating is as guilty as a murderer. There were 65 pages on hand washing. <laughs> 65 pages. Hillel and Shemai, two you know, prominent rabbis who usually did not agree, agreed on 18 different decrees of hand washing. And if all of that wasn't crazy enough, they believed there was a tradition that tradition there was a demon named Shibta, S-H-I-B-T-A, a demon. His name was Shibta. He would come and sit on your hands and defile your hands. If you, if you sat around with your hands on your lap or something, you couldn't see it, but he was sitting on everybody's hands, making her hands dirty. 
So they had this whole tradition. You had to wash first from your elbows down to your fingertips. Then you had to take your fists and wash them a certain way in your hands. Then you had to wash with your hands back up again because you had elbow dirt that ran down onto your hands. So they had to run back the other way and then you didn't want that there. So then you had to wash again with your wrist pointed down so everything would kind of run to the back of your wrist and drip off. This was complicated. I'm, just, I'm done eating by now. I don't know, but I didn't wash my kids. They're, they're over by the time all of this is done. And then there were after washings. So they come to Jesus and they're accusing him of not maintaining the tradition of the elders. Now it's going to use the word tradition five times through this passage. Here's the thing. What, the, what they're going to do is they're going to pit the word of God against their traditions. The living word of God, the written word of God versus their traditions. I'm not against traditions. There are family traditions that many of us have in our families that are great things. On holidays and the certain ways we do things on the 4th of July, they're, they're, those are good things. There are traditions nationally that we have, and I think they're important. Tradition is not a bad thing. I think there are very many patriotic things that go on because of national tradition that are important. And I'm not even against traditional things in religion until they begin to supersede the written word of God, till they begin to strangle genuine spiritual life. Because Sunday, you know, there are several billion people on the planet who claim to be Christian, many of them strangled by tradition all over this planet today, and millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions not going to heaven. They have tradition but not the word of God, never been born again, never come to Christ. They embrace the tradition of the church and not Jesus. And it isn't just historic tradition is bad. We can have, you know, current traditions that become important to us. And we think if somebody doesn't do it our way, that it's not spiritual. And there's enough of that goes around and it can go on here too. You know, you have to use guitars, you have to wear a white shirt, you have to, you know, you have to do this, you have to do that. We, we can create our own flavor of traditions. The truth is always found in the Word of God. They come to Jesus and his disciples, and they saw them eating with defiled, and that's not dirty, it's ceremonially defiled, that is unwashed hands, and they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft, often, many ways, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be, which they have received to hold as the washing of cups and of pots and of brazen vessels and of tables and so forth, and so much of that in the Mishnah. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashen hands? Why are you ignoring the tradition of the elders? Now, look, Jesus never cowers. You know, there are times when it says he just passes through their midst quietly. There are times, and in Matthew's rendition here, he says, just let them alone. Let the blind lead the blind. Jesus will pick his 
his battles and he'll pick them wisely. And, the, and there are times when he steps up to the plate because the misconception of who God is and of God's word is so damaging that he steps into the middle of things to set it straight. There are times when he turns around and walks away. I wish that we could be that wise. I wish I could be that wise sometimes. He answered and he said unto them, well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites. Now you gotta understand there's a crowd here, okay? No one has ever talked to these guys like this before. No one in front of the people has ever called them a hypocrite. They're blowing steam out their ears, I guarantee you. Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites as it is written, this people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men, laying aside the commandment of God. You hold the tradition of men as of washing of pots and cups and many other such like things you do. And he said unto them, full well ye reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your own tradition. He gives an example. For Moses said, honor thy father and thy mother. Whosoever curseth father or mother, let him die the death. Some of us wouldn't be here, huh? Uh, back in those days, to curse your mom and dad was a capital offense. But you say... If a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corban, that is to say, a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. Now, what it's talking about is this. There was no social security then. There were no retirement homes. Your mom and dad lived on and your mom died, or your dad died, whatever. There was a patriarch, your mom, your dad, the oldest member of the family, and they were due respect. They cared for you when you were born. They changed your diaper. They fed you. They give you a start in life. And when the tables were turned, you know, it's not just, you know, a, a problem with kids or teenagers not being honorable or respecting their parents. You certainly were to do that. And, and, you know, many times if we fight with our parents, you know, when my kids, you know, fought with their mom, and, and I always had to be the referee. I had the whistle and the striped shirt. And even if... I knew that Kathy was wrong and they were right about the particular argument. They were wrong because they had transgressed something before that and that was not honoring her. Anything, you know, many things, Kathy and I settled alone, talking by ourselves about things about raising the kids. But they had already transgressed something the scripture asked of them and that was, hey, this woman squeezed you out into this world. I watched it four times. And they wouldn't have life. God chose this woman as the vessel to give you physical life. And the reason you're breathing and you're alive is because of her. And there's a certain honor you owe because of God. Look, I know, and I'm not naive. Some of you were raised in a home where the parent was unhonorable. There was molestation. There was drunkenness. There were things wrong. I understand that. And I'm not trying to be cavalier about these things. But any of you who are raised in a half-sane environment, God asked to honor the mother and father and then laid a particular responsibility on us in the old age of our parents to take care of them. 
Uh, my dad had always been the caregiver, took care of my mom, and in the last six, seven months of his life, I became his chauffeur. Uh, I drove him to all the doctor's appointments, I, you know, and he felt terrible about that. And, uh, and I said, Dad, I'm not doing this because I have to do it. I'm doing this because I get to do it. You're my dad, I love you. We're only going to do this one time. We're not going to get to rehearse it. We want to do it right. And, and I'm so glad that I got to be part of that until he passed. And there's an honoring of mother and father, caring for them. Well, the traditions of the elders in Jesus' day said this. If you come to the temple with your wealth, anything you say Corbin about then becomes money you can give to the temple to support the temple and the worship of God, and you're free from giving that then to your parents. That was never written in the law. That was a tradition they invented, and the scribes and the Pharisees in particular loved that because they were on the receiving end of it. And Jesus says to them, you say, if a man says to his father or mother, it is Corban, that is to say, a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. You suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which you have delivered, and many such like things do ye. Jesus gives them an example, says you set aside the word of God for your tradition. Look, we could sit here and write a list in, in churches, in traditional liturgical America of places where they embrace liturgy and tradition and ordain immoral people and put them in the pulpit or where they set aside the truths of God's word or it's forbidden to talk about sin because people get bad self-esteem, you know, or you can't say, you know, there's so many places where the truth of God's word is set aside for tradition, for a certain type of, of management or approach to ministry and, and making the word of God of none effect. Let me tell you something. I believe with all of my heart in the days we live in and the days that remain, if God is ever going to pour out his spirit again, it's going to be where his word is honored as his word without compromise. And I don't know if that's going to happen, but if it does happen, it will be where his word is his word without apology. And it has that authority. And it should in our hearts and lives. And, you know, praise the Lord that we can sit here and study his word week after week. And when he had called all the people unto them. Now, so he reproves the, the Pharisees and scribes in front of the crowds. And then he says to the people, okay, guys, come here. I want to talk to you all. And he, he kind of draws them all in. He says, hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. I want you to listen. Hearken is to lend your heart, not just your ear. And I want you to understand. Yes, two things. Hearken and understand. There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him. I try to tell my wife that when I eat pepperoni and she's always worried about, hey, honey, this is what the, can't, don't, you, don't you believe Jesus? <laughs> Say grace and we're fine. There is nothing from without a man entering into him that can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man, spiritual, not physical. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was entered into the house from the people, his disciples, we're told in Matthew it was Peter, asked him concerning the parable. 
That isn't a parable. He just told them the truth. And for them, it's radical for them to hear this. So they say, well, is this a parable? He said unto them, are you so without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatsoever thing from without enters into the man, it cannot defile him? Because it enters into his, it entereth not into his heart, but into his belly. And then it goes out in the draught, purging all meats. Try to track this with me, guys. Refrigerator, mouth, belly, toilet. We have a problem here? That doesn't defile anybody. It doesn't go into his heart. It goes into his belly. It doesn't defile him. He said, it's that which cometh out of a man that defile him. For from within the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adultery. Now, let me tell you something as we go through this. Okay, look. You've grown up in a traditional church. You've grown up in a religious system. I'm not naive enough to say, okay, you heard it. Change. That's it. You're done. We don't have to talk about this subject anymore. It should be out of your system. Because here's Peter, we're told in Matthew, is the one who questions Jesus about this. Peter says, Jesus is a Peter, don't you understand? This is not a parable. There's nothing secret here. What you eat doesn't defile you. It doesn't go in your heart. It goes in your belly, and then it passes through. It's the heart that's the issue. Now, in the book of Acts, Peter's staying at the house of Simon the Tanner. Goes up on a roof. There's a sheet let down from heaven with all kinds of animals on it. And Jesus says to Peter, kill and eat. Peter says, not so, Lord. Those are three words that really don't fit together. Not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything unclean. And Jesus doesn't say, duh, don't you remember the first lesson we went, you know. And three times the Lord lets that sheet down from heaven and finally says, that which I, you know, have called clean, don't call common. It's not done. He comes to Antioch. And there, evidently, Peter's enjoying fellowship with the Gentile Christians. He's eating Italian sausage, soap rosetta, gabagool. He's having a great time. And it says certain brethren come from Jerusalem, from James. And it says Peter withdrew. It's, a, it's an interesting word. It means he trimmed his sails. And it says he even led Barnabas astray. He stopped eating with the Gentiles. This is a third eating problem he has. Peter seems to learn everything in threes, unlike us. We're fours and fives, I think, sometimes. And, and Paul says, I had to rebuke Peter to his face because he was not walking according to the gospel, orthopedeo. He, he was not walking straight-footedly according to the gospel of Christ. So, look, God understands us. He knows that we settle into routines. We settle into tra traditional things. We settle into religious systems. And he doesn't, you know, blast us out of them with nitroglycerin. He woos us and he speaks to us and he draws us and he changes us. Line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. Sowing his word into our hearts where it replaces so much of the tradition and liturgy that we've been bound to. And Jesus said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. He was patient with Peter. Peter's the one who asked the questions here. 
Peter's the one he has to correct in the book of Acts. Peter's the one he has to create, he has to correct him again later. And it's into this, in regards to this one issue here. Jesus says, don't you understand? It's not, what goes into you doesn't defile you. It's what comes forth from the heart. The way the Bible says, guard your heart with all diligence because from it flows the issues of life. Honest. We've seen people in our church, sometimes brilliant, master's degree, PhD, fall into sin because they didn't guard their heart. Desire itself. What drives the man is a spiritual issue. It's a heart issue. And the heart will always make a convert of the mind if you let it play and you let it speak and you don't bring it under the word of God. In time, the heart desire will always make a convert of the mind. And then somebody will do something, they'll say, I would give my right arm if I could turn this back one day. I've made such a mess of things. I've done such a stupid thing. Jesus said, it's not what goes into a man that defiles the man. It's what proceeds from the heart. David said, I've hidden thy word in, thy, in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Jesus in John 17, praying to the Father, verse 17 says, Father, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. What a powerful effect God's word can have on us in regards to our hearts. That which cometh out of the man, that's what defiles him. From, for from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts. You ever have one of those? I know some of you are thinking, if this guy don't get the study over, I'm going to kill him. You have one right now. <laughs> evil thoughts. Adulteries. Fornications, which is, is porneas, unclean. It would be pornography. It would be... You know, just things unclean sexually. Murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye. On top of everything else, somebody gives you the evil eye. It, it, it has to do with envy and jealousy. An evil eye, blasphemy. Pride, and certainly this sums everything up, foolishness, foolishness, the human heart. And Isaiah will tell us it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He who knew no sin was made sin that you and I might be the very righteousness of God. Romans tells us how God can both be just and the justifier of the ungodly. This is the human heart. Isn't it wonderful that he gives us a new nature, a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. And let me tell you something. Those descriptions like Galatians 5 describe your old man. Your fallen nature is still there. The power of it is broken. We're told not to let it rain. But it's still there. Anytime you want to look within, it is still there. The Bible doesn't say rehab it. Some Christians spend their entire life trying to rehab that stuff and it never gets rehabbed. Don't negotiate with it. Don't rehab it. Crucify it. Consider it dead. Don't let it rain in your mortal body. We have the power of God's Holy Ghost. And it says, it says if we walk in the Spirit, 
we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It doesn't say this, and because we're legalistic, we always get it backwards in our mind, and we think, if I don't fulfill the lust of the flesh, then I'll walk in the Spirit. That's not what the Bible says. It says, walk in the Spirit, and if you do that, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And it outlines them the same here, the human heart. That concludes our teaching time here on Straight from the Heart. If you enjoyed today's message from Mark chapter 7 and would like to hear it again in its entirety, you can listen to it on our website for free at www.ccphilly.org. Just go to our homepage and click on Listen to Current Messages, then select Straight from the Heart and click on the study with today's date. Today's message number is SPM 539. That's SPM 539. You can also listen to today's teaching from Mark chapter 7 or any other message from Genesis to Revelation by downloading our free app on your tablet or mobile device. Just go to your app store and search for Calvary Chapel Philadelphia or go to our website and click the link for the mobile app. In addition to our app, you can also study the Bible with Pastor Joe by subscribing to our Straight from the Heart radio podcast, available on Apple, Google, and Spotify. If you have any questions or comments about today's message, or maybe would like to let us know how the Lord has blessed you through Pastor Joe's teaching, we'd love to hear your feedback. Feel free to contact us by email at radio at ccphilly.org. That's radio at ccphilly.org. For more information on this broadcast or Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia, don't forget to visit our website at ccphilly.org. Thanks for listening, and remember to join us next time as we continue with more great Bible teaching that comes straight from the heart.